Hi, everybody, and welcome to the RV Miles Podcast, your home for RV and camping news, reviews, travel guides, and more. I'm Jason. And I'm Abby, and this is episode 81 of the RV Miles Podcast. If you want to check out the show notes, head over to rvmiles.com slash podcast. And of course, RV Miles is all across social media. Just search RV Miles. And Jason and I, along with our boys, Jack, Ethan, and Henry, and of course, Wanderbus, are at ourwanderingfamily.com. And we are also across social media. Just search Our Wandering Family. On this week's episode, van life. Hashtag van life. Hashtag van life. Yeah, you can't say it without hashtag van life. We are talking to Katie Larson from govan.com about her life on the road as a solo female traveler and uh, and her website govan.com, which is a great resource for anybody that travels either van life or all sorts of different ways that people travel out there. We're going to talk a little bit with her about how van life is slightly different, but still the same as RV travel. It is RV travel. It is RV but it travel. It is a subset of RV t- travel. Absolutely. Just like way. schooly life is yeah. a subset of RV travel. We also have some great tips for saving fuel when you're driving and a whole lot of major, major news. But first, this episode is sponsored by L.L. Bean. This year, L.L. Bean is joining up with the National Park Foundation, the official nonprofit partner of the National Park Service, to help you find your happy place in an amazing system of more than 400 national parks, including historic and cultural sites, monuments, preserves, lakeshores and seashores, including our newest national park, which we will get to in just a moment, many of which you'll find just a short trip from home. L.L. Bean is proud to be an official partner of the National Park Foundation. Discover your perfect day in a park at findyourpark.com. That's a little little sneaky tidbit you threw in there. We'll get to that in a second. But we are coming to you this week. It is a glorious Friday afternoon 80 degree weather. Oh, thank you, Texas, for showing on up a today. Front. We were just outside of of Austin or kind of halfway between Austin and, and uh, San Antonio at an Army Corps of Engineers campground. And thankfully, this one is lovely because the last one we stayed at was not as great. Not, but uh, <laughs> not, not so much. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show. But uh, it, this is <laughs> this feels like why we're doing this. It, it feels great to be back on the road. And in a really nice campsite and being able to set everything up for a couple of weeks. And absolutely it's gonna be fun after a week in the Dallas Fort Worth area where, you know, temperatures were dipping down into the 20s at night. It was so nice last night to not have to have the heaters on to sleep. We had the fan open in the bedroom. It just it was exactly, you know, that sort of um picture perfect idea you have of camping when you set up in your campsite and the weather is just ideal. That is what we are getting today. We're only going to get a few days of it. And then I'm wearing shorts for the first time this year. I'm surprised you even found shorts because I I don't have, I I don't have them all pulled out yet. So I was impressed to see you in shorts. As a matter of fact, these are, these are the sort of zip, zip off hiking pants. Oh, so So, (laughs) you had to make shorts. I had to make shorts out of them. (laughs) Thank you. LLP. And he was able to make shorts and not be smoldering hot. All right. So we do have a ton of news this week. And so much of it is big, major news. I 
I just didn't know what to start with. So we're going to start with the sad news. Uh, yeah, let's just build up. We've we've been talking, uh, as you know, for weeks about the scandal at Irwinheimer North America, which is the manufacturer of road tracks in Kitchener, Ontario. They're embroiled in a, a an alleged financial scandal with the CEO and the CFO and although and today's news pretty much I think says that that isn't alleged so much anymore. Yeah. So what's happening today is that all 800 employees have essentially been laid off. It's heartbreaking. The the company has been placed in receivership, which is a, a you know a court process where they will try to find a buyer for it. But the factory is a leased factory, so there's not a whole lot tying the name Road Trek, which is really all that's left in the patents and all that, with Kitchener, Ontario. So it's very possible that the company will get picked up by somebody and they will not manufacture in that town. Or it's possible that nobody's going to want want it, depending on what the actual financial situation is. The thing I think we will know now, while they try to find a buyer, is that there must be information about what happened and where all the money went and what the company's worth now. Otherwise, there's there's just no way anybody's going to buy it. The whole situation just kind of makes me sick to my stomach when I think about what's going to happen to this town if they lose the factory, the 800 people that lost their jobs, individuals who just came to work to do an honest day's work and provide for themselves and if you know their families or their partners and here they are because of some unbelievably disgusting decisions by a handful of individuals so many people now have their lives completely turned upside down and you know another factor in all of this too is those people that own road tracks road tra- i believe road tracks had a six-year warranty and that's why a lot of people bought road tracks and we've been getting reports for weeks now that RV repair shops across the country are not repairing road tracks under warranty. Some of them have said they will and they're just eating the cost, but many are saying they won't because they're not getting paid. And that's probably what the future holds now for road track owners who spent $150,000 on a vehicle hoping they had a good warranty. It must be so infuriating to be left holding something that is no longer what you thought you were making an investment in and you have, you know, no option but to either ride this out and continue to hold on to this road track or perhaps maybe try to sell it off, but you know, either way, just across the board, this is so I've said it I know a thousand times already in just the last 2 minutes. It's infuriating and it makes me sick. And Road Track was really well known for for their customer service, but these RVs are so custom. Road Trek built their own batteries. It's going to be difficult. Or you're a dealer and you've got all these Road Treks sitting on your lot. What do you, yeah, what do you do? You have, you got to cut the price in, you know, by a third at least. Well, one of your biggest selling points, the six-year warranty, well, it's that's gone. clearly gone and off the table now. Yeah. You know, and with the brand itself up in the air, how many people are going to be rushing to buy? I mean, either you're going to rush to buy because the deal is going to be so good and they're going to want them off their lots or you're not going to want to touch it with a 10 foot pole. There's still a slim possibility that something could happen. From what I understand, there's a six week window that this needs to happen in. But there's a lot of hearsay. This all coming secondhand from employees. 
that were laid off today. So, But even if someone picks it up, what are the odds that all 800 of these people are getting their jobs back? I, the odds are very slim. Right. I, these They're yeah. out of work. Yeah. yeah. And they did nothing but just come to work every day. Yeah. I just, I don't understand it. It's very unfortunate. Another piece of unfortunate news, this is a little bit more angering news to a lot of people, uh, a Jellystone Park in Middleton, Illinois. This is, they call themselves the, the Chicago Jellystone, even though mm-hmm. this is a, we all, we're Chicagoans, okay? We, we always have an issue with people that are an hour and a half out of Chicago, outside of Chicago, yeah. saying that they're from Chicago. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, Evanston, Skokie. You guys get to lay the claim. If you touch but, uh, the city yeah. or, or if, I think if you maybe if your suburb touches the city or touches one of the, the suburbs that touch the city. I don't even know about that. Two, two, two layer, two factor. Regardless, it does when we'll get into the story. But my first thought was, of course, this is a campground in Illinois. Of course. Anyway, <laughs> so typical. This Jellystone Park in in Middleton, Illinois said it will exclude pop-up campers and tents but um the interesting part was was pop-up campers from camping at its resort this season now a lot of rv parks across the country exclude tents because they don't have camping pads for tents or they don't want to kill the grass or whatever it's still not something you expect to hear from a jellystone a jellystone is a family camping franchise Look, I don't care how this company tries to spin this story. The minute you say the words Jellystone, you and I are done with this conversation. Your mascot is Yogi Bear. Yeah. You are a family campground and you have decided that families that tent camp and families that camp in pop-up campers are no longer welcome at your family campground. Again, I know everyone's going to, some people say, to each their own. And hey, you're right, to each their own. But this, to me, is a very unsettling trend where more and more of these private family campgrounds are excluding more and more campers. And camping has always been a family's way of enjoying a vacation without having to break the bank. I want to step back and be very clear about what's happening here, because it is common every now and then for a campground to exclude soft sided campers like a pop up or a hybrid pop up, which is like a hard sided camper that has fold out canvas sleeping areas and tents because of wildlife, because of bear concerns. You know, if you go to Fishing Bridge Campground at Yellowstone, you have to be in a hard sided RV because it's a bear habitat. That's not what happened. That's, okay, this is that's Illinois. Not this is here. like 90 minutes from Chicago. There are some really big raccoons out there. <laughs> but this is this is what the, this is what this company's post said on, on Facebook. As some of you may be aware, effective for the 2019 season, our resort will no longer allow tent or pop up campers. This decision was made in order for the property to move towards our vision of a resort that is exclusive to travel trailers, fifth wheels, motorhomes, cabins, and park models. There's just no way to cut that other than we don't want people coming to our resort that can't afford the more high-end RVs. The money we want to charge. This just, well, I mean, I they mean can this can still is charge like- the, same, the same rate for the site. 
and from what we're hearing from a lot of people that have stayed at this campground as it's changed hands over the last couple of years is that in fact there have been issues there where the former management and the new management has just sort of let people run wild and it's a big party campground and not very well taken care of and their solution seems to be we're going to get rid of people who can't afford it right because as we all know the troublemakers are, are always pop-up campers and tent campers yes, yes. i are people you know with less money yeah i am like with this story i am madeline khan in clue and I just like flames. <laughs> I just the side of my face when <laughs> I hear this story and they have not been well received on social media. No, there are with social this. media posts. There's Facebook post as well over 500 comments. They're nearly universally negative and it's been shared like crazy across the Internet. And we have found out now that the company that owns this Jellystone apparently just turned into a Jellystone owns 10 other campgrounds across the country, including two sort of near the Chicago area where they've made the same policy and to the same reaction this year. And they own some really exclusive sort of resorts in Florida that have the 10 year rule. And I can imagine that you can expect these Illinois and Indiana campgrounds to have the 10 year rule soon as well. And, you know, I have to say I was a little disappointed by the response from the company that owns Jellystone overall. Yeah, so Jellystone I, is a franchise and right. and people can buy into a franchise, open up their campground and they get the name, but they operate it. And Jellystone is saying not no, our problem. Not our fault. Yeah, it's not our problem. It's just our name. Our, our campgrounds can make the rules that they want to yeah. make. I don't know how you can be a family focused campground like Jellystone and then be like, well, we're cool with most families, but yeah. not the families that want to camp in a tent or a pop up because, well, mm, we just don't want your kind here. That doesn't make any sense to me, especially at a Jellystone. I know. And so this is a place where I mean, I went to the Jellystone in Eureka, Missouri, several times as a kid. This is like the place where you go to learn about family camping and car camping for the first time. You bring your kids and have a good time in a relaxed environment. Go swim at the pool, that sort of stuff. Look, this just really makes me give a little bit of side eye to Jellystone. I'm really disappointed. Anybody that has ever been involved in franchises knows that the idea that individual franchises can make up their own rules about absolutely everything is completely untrue. Certainly Jellystone has many policies that their campgrounds must follow. This is just not one they've put into place. And and I'm sure there are many wonderful Jellystones out there. It is unfortunate that right now this particular one is sort of clouding all of the other really good ones across social media and in a lot of the Facebook groups. I'll tell you also, and this is all complete hearsay, but what it sounds like is that this campground became a Jellystone before the new owners bought it. And the new owners are just kind of writing out the contract for the next year or two and don't want to be a Jellystone. They want to be some sort of high end resort and there's going to be some conflict there with them. But regardless, Thankfully, people have been just ripping this apart left and right because it is such a it's just cruel. It's just 
yeah. cruel to say you have a certain type type of RV, even though it is an RVIA certified manufactured RV that doesn't act any differently than any other RV out there. Okay, moving on to our third piece of bad news, and then we'll get to the good news fourth, right? Road Trippers, one of our favorite websites. Road Trippers, why do you do me? Road like Trippers this? is a website that allows you to plan your road trip out, and it has this great tool that allows you to search along your route within a certain distance. So you can say five miles from my route, 10 miles, 30 miles from my route and find stuff along the way. It has been absolutely wonderful for us. We lay our trips out on it, share it with family and friends. Look at ourselves and say, are we really trying to do 10,000 miles in 2019? Well, yes, we last year, Thor Industries, which is now the largest manufacturer in the world, bought road trippers and they've incorporated in, in, in some of this new stuff that they're working on to really connect people on the road. And, and it's great stuff. However, they created this premium plan for road trippers. So you have to pay money to get a certain number of, of stops that you could list on your trip. Well, we got an email today that road trippers starting March 18th is only going to allow you to put eight waypoints into a road trip without paying for the upgrade to road trippers plus 14.99 a year you can get road trippers plus and you can put as many waypoints as you want in but for the free version it's only eight which it makes it pretty I, much useless now yeah I, I, I don't really see the benefit to it now and i know that 14.99 isn't an awful price it just you know it's just a and look I, you gotta make money i i get yeah, that i, I mean they've yeah. been trying to find ways they've been trying to put ads into it and all kinds of stuff and to to little avail we did our um, 2019 trip and then they were like yeah those people are gonna need to start paying yeah. for this i am i would imagine <laughs> right i would imagine a lot of new thor owners any any of the thor brands airstream Jayco, all the different Thor brands, I would imagine they're going to start giving this out, you know, just like Camping World gives out a good year Sam. of roadside assistance or Here's year your free good road Sam. you're going to start getting yeah. that sort of stuff. But uh, there's just so many different things they want you to pay for to be an RV or so many individual little memberships to own and, and clubs to be part up. of. It adds up and it's just one more thing that there are other free resources out there that it just it's not going to make sense for us to No, to pay we're just, for. maybe we just go back to the yeah. good old paper map. Okay, finally. Good news. The, the good news. Uh, I guess, depending on who you are, you might Yeah, not, you may you not care. Not like uh, <laughs> you may be like, this has nothing to do with me. Thanks, Abby and Jason. We do now have our 61st National Park. Boy, that came out of nowhere. Indiana Dunes National Lakeshore will now be known as Indiana Dunes national park you know white sands is so angry right now <laughs> <laughs> well what happened was there were a whole bunch of public land bills last year that just never got passed and they sort of put them all together this year and, you and, get a and park and you get a park giant package that includes a big expansion of the federal wilderness there will be 1.3 million more acres of federal wilderness protected. And that that's really a great thing, because what that means is 
you can't even build roads. You can't build bathhouses in wilderness. You can't build well, nothing. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you, it's wilderness. It's, yeah, it's wilderness. It's wild. So that's happening. They're adding a couple more small national historic site type places. And at the very last minute, they threw in one little change to the bill before it headed to the house that the name of Indiana Dunes National Lakeshore would be changed to Indiana Dunes National Park. One tiny little line in the little, little blip in there, and the that's bottom. and that's it. That's all it took. Yeah, and and the president signed the bill into law, and it's done. I'm happy for Indiana. I'm happy for that area. Obviously, that's a special place near and around Chicago. I think it's going to be great for uh, Indiana Dunes. It's a beautiful place. We've talked about this before, though. I don't think you have to have park status in order to be a really special National Park Service site, but that does come with a lot of weight. So no, I mean, it, but uh, good for that. Effectively, what will happen? Nothing. They will get some signage will change. Right. And they'll get a different stamp. Yeah. And and that's it. I mean, it doesn't affect that the way Junior the, Ranger badge will change it, too. <laughs> right. It doesn't affect the way the park is ran. No, at all whatsoever. I don't. Whatsoever. They're they don't not going to extra money. Anything like that. They're not going to add extra no. land to the area. It nothing is going to change. I will say though, as a part of this bill, also Joshua Tree National Park and Death Valley National Park both grew a bit. Ooh. They did gain some more acreage in in both of those parks, which is. Which is really that's cool great because well. those are some really yeah. amazing areas. And yeah, it's the, always exciting when more space is being saved. And, you know, this bill was passed with the votes of 98 senators. I'm sorry. Say what? 98 <laughs> of 100 senators gave their yay vote to this. I to hope this bill. How often does that happen? Uh, um, I'm, can I can I get a Google? <laughs> I can't tell you off the top of my head. So that is our news for the week. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we've got the answer to last week's brain teaser. We've got some great tips for fuel saving in your RV. Be right back. We are back with the answer to last week's brain teaser sponsored by our new sponsor. We're happy to have on board the FMCA used to be the Family Motor Coach Association, but now they're for everybody. The FMCA from motorhomes, travel trailers, fifth wheels, bus conversions and more. FMCA is here to enhance your RV lifestyle for as little as five dollars a month. You can travel with peace of mind knowing FMCA has your back. Get connected with like minded RVers on their Facebook page, forums at conventions and events. Deals and discounts include RV insurance and tire saving programs and their medical emergency and travel assistance program is included free. A yearly membership is only $60, but RV Miles listeners can save $10 with code RVMILES19, all one word. Just visit fmca.com and enter code RVMILES19 or click the link in the show notes. You know, one of the best things about the FMCA is their roadside assistance plan. It is an additional charge. It's additional $69 a year. But that's such a great deal when you think about everything included. For for roadside assistance. And it's roadside assistance that is meant for RVs. You get towing to the nearest qualified repair center. 
You get fuel delivery if you run out of fuel. We need that. <laughs> they, they will come unlock your RV uh, or or your car. This is, it, it, it works with your, your tow vehicle, the car you drive every day to work. If you're not RVing as well. If it, it's on it's four included. wheels, they got it. Yeah. Or two wheels, um, you know, or no wheels. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Just We don't mm, really know about the number of wheels. Yeah, so I don't, don't quote us on the number of wheels involved. I don't remember hey, how many wheels a are on a travel trailer. A lot of have more than four wheels. Yeah. You know, uh, we, we have, have more. Six. We have six. Anywho. <laughs> Anywho, they will change your tires. They will give you a battery jump. They've got tech assistance. It's a really good service. You can even extend your coverage to additional family members living in your household and add additional passenger vehicles. You could have roadside assistance and your FMCA membership for $119. It's a really good deal. We're really happy to not only have FMCA as a sponsor of the podcast, but we're happy to be FMCA members. Yeah, we felt very proud when we put that little plaque on the side of Wanderbus. It was pretty cool. All right. Last week's brain teaser went like this. I'm a protector. I sit on a bridge. One person can see right through me while others wonder what I hide. What am I? The answer is sunglasses. Sunglasses, which we needed today. The bridge they sit on is the bridge of your nose, of course. And the winner this week is Sean Martinez from Oregon, who will receive a Not All Who Wander Are Lost t-shirt. And you'll have a chance to win yours at the end of the show with the new brain teaser. Okay, we have some great fuel saving tips that we wanted to mention because one of the things that we're always concerned with and by we we mean jason as well you're concerned about I mean, the cost hey, of look, fuel uh, you're no, right. don't get me wrong <laughs> yeah well yesterday when we filled up i was like mm, i had this number in my head and i overshot like, it by like, what was about yeah. 125 i'm like um try 175 i overshot it by like ten dollars or so and then he way overshot me and i was like mm, okay well all right so <laughs> Of course, saving fuel, whether you're in a diesel or a gasoline engine, is a really helpful thing to do to allow you to spend that money on things that matter a whole lot more. I so, don't, well, fuel matters. It does. Don't don't push well, no, fuel aside. I mean, fuel yeah, matters, but, but yeah, it allows you, you know, on something that you don't have to waste right, money. Well, it you can, can save al- some money. Yeah, it can potentially allow us to go get that three pound cinnamon roll that someone mentioned is in the San Antonio area. Said we should try it out. Save a little money on fuel. <laughs> go get a three pound cinnamon roll. <laughs> Put some fuel in your belly instead. <laughs> Priorities, Jason. <laughs> so the number one fuel tip we have for you is to slow down. And everybody knows that if you drive a little bit slower, you save fuel. You drive 55, 60 miles an hour instead of 75 miles an hour, your vehicle is running more efficiently. We get kicking fuel mileage in the van <laughs> when we drive 60 miles an hour. It's amazing. What, what you mean is we get kicking fuel mileage in the van when I drive instead of when you drive. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Look, I am always, I got to get to my destination. You are along for the ride. <laughs> Vehicles get their best fuel mileage at the shift point of the highest gear. So whatever speed you're going, if it's an automatic, when it shifts into that highest gear, that's the point. That lowest point is, is the best fuel mileage that you're getting. And usually that's set to be around 55, 60 miles an hour. Now, it's not just about speed though. It's about taking it easy on the pedal. If you're accelerating, don't stick your foot to the floor. 
you know, slowly accelerate. If you're going to have to break somewhere, take your time and slowly break and try not to have to stop entirely. If you see a stoplight coming up, anticipate it, slow down way well in advance so that you don't have to stop completely and you can roll right through it. Do you remember when we first bought the van and how on our van it will track like how many miles per gallon uh-huh. you're getting and we were trying like it was a game yeah like in the city we were trying to always stay over 20 and i can remember sometimes you would just creep yourself up to a stop sign. I, would. I would get over 30 what are you talking <laughs> about like, 20 i would be, at some point i had to be like jason i'm gonna i'm really gonna need you to drive through this stop sign and accelerate a little bit he just he was so that number down there it just became a game for jason and it it has stayed that way the four years that we've had that van another thing you can do to keep fuel costs down is to watch your weight the less weight you have the easier it is on your engine try not to travel with full water tanks try not to load your rv down or your truck down with stuff that you don't need the less you're taking with you the less fuel that you're going to need. Do you mean don't load down with a drum kit for your kid? Well, it's an electronic drum kit, so it only weighs a little bit. Oh, okay. It only weighs a little bit. Good to know. Proper tire pressure is another way that you can reduce the amount you spend on fuel. If your tires are underinflated, they're going to waste more fuel. This is, and this is, this is one that not a lot of people know about. And this is one that I wasn't really clear on. And now that I, no, we're going to have to think about this and do this more. Refuel in the morning, not towards the end of the day. Refueling in the morning can actually save you a few bucks, especially if you have a big tank. It might not be that much, but if you're refueling a lot, you're driving across the country, it, it can mean quite a bit of money. And the reason being is that the, the storage tanks are buried deep underground. Early in the morning, the ground itself is still relatively cold making the fuel dense. As the day progresses, the temperature rises. As the temperature rises, the molecules tend to expand. So if you're you're going to refuel later in the day when the gas is already expanded, that one gallon that you put in may not be one gallon anymore. In other words, the gas is more compact when it's cooler. So if you fill up while it's cooler, then it will expand in your tank later in the day instead of you getting it after it's already expanded. You know where the flaw is in this? Where? It requires us to leave in the morning. It does. And we, yeah, it's a big flaw. The other flaw in this that makes me not totally believe it, so take it with a grain of salt, is that I don't believe that underground temperature fluctuates all that much. Ooh, good point. I'm fairly certain it doesn't. Look at you really thinking this one through. I'm thinking this through. I was just thinking about us and being like, we're never getting on the road before like 10 a.m. ever. (laughs) It never happens. The other big things you can do are just making sure that your engine is tuned up, that your injectors are clean, that you keep your air filter changed, that you keep your fuel filter changed. And you know what? The big thing that you can do to cut down on fuel mileage is just plan your trip well. Flattestroute.net, anybody. You you can use our tool, flattestroute.net, or you can, you know, just make sure you take the fastest route somewhere and don't hit too much traffic and you're going to save a lot of fuel. That time in traffic really, really matters. 
So those are our fuel saving tips. If you have some fuel saving tips, we'd love to hear about them. Send us an email at editor at rvmiles.com or come over to the RV Miles Facebook group and share them around there. All right, we're going to roll on and talk about a little bit of our travel over the last uh, the last two weeks here. Yeah, we're going to talk about the Fort Worth, Dallas area or um, the lack thereof. Yeah, Fort Worth, Dallas. I mean, we were area. in the Fort Worth, we were Dallas in it. area. We just didn't experience. There are it. a couple things to talk about, though. Yeah, but first, like the dress I bought. <laughs> <laughs> this segment is sponsored by the standby phone and beverage holder. If you're like me, keeping your phone safe yet convenient is a daily struggle, especially when driving or around the campsite. But thanks to the standby, not only is my phone always readily available, but so is my drink. The standby takes cup holders to a whole new level. This three in one product holds your drink and your phone at the same time and can accommodate numerous drink sizes, making it perfect for your car, motorhome, golf cart, boat, stroller or camp chair. No cup holder. No problem. Attach the removable foot complete with condensation tray and let it sit on your table or desk. It even comes with a ground stake for the campsite or the beach. I've got mine sitting here next to me with my drink in it, and I'm about to put that ground stake on it and take it out by the campfire because we're going to have our first campfire. Yeah, while you're editing a pod- while I'm editing <laughs> while you're editing a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the standby is durable, dishwasher safe, UV protected, and will always be made in the USA. Your cup holder needs an upgrade. Get the standby today by visiting stand-buy.com and save 15% off with promo code SAVE, S-A-V-E. That's stand-buy.com and use the promo code SAVE. We'll provide a link to the website and promo code in the show notes. So we we were in Fort in just outside in the suburbs of of Fort Worth, Texas. And the most part we uh dealt with freezing cold. Yeah, it just all this whole pouring rain. Yes. The, our whole time there just really comes down to the fact that the weather was just miserable. And it just wasn't enjoyable. A campground with murder bathrooms. Oh man, I those bathrooms. Jason said that I didn't go in them. Jason always, Jason usually always goes and does like a, a, a walk through the bathhouses first. We we and, love Army Corps oh, of Engineers love, Parks love. Because, partially because the bathrooms are almost universally so great. So fantastic. Jason comes back and he's like, mm, this is one of those that I would expect to see in like a Freddy Krueger movie or you know, this is just a horror flick waiting to happen. Don't even bother going over there. I can't even imagine what it's like when it's hot in oh, those bathrooms. Oh. So, uh, so we were so we were at the Holiday Park in Benbrook, Texas. This yeah, is an Army, Army Corps, Corps of Engineers, Engineers campground, and the campsites were fine. The people oh, there yeah, were lovely. Were it's, it's it's on beautiful. a little lake and it's pretty and. There was a playground really near to the campsite we were at. That's a huge bonus. There's, you know, nothing about the park itself was, you know, glaringly awful. It's just it was probably the worst bathhouse ever. I mean, we're in talking two and a half years. The curtains shredded. The walls. That's cin- because Freddy Krueger had been like <laughs> scraping his hands block down them. with peeling paint. Now, I will say that they had been cleaned which is very common at an Ar- at a yes. Army Corps of Engineers that they do keep them very clean. But there's only so much you can clean a murder bathroom. The toilet and the urinal were in one side of the building with no sink in it. 
And then if you wanted to go to the sink from there, you had to go to the other side of the building where the showers were. And the sink had no mirror in front of it and had a button you pressed to turn it on. And the faucet, I'm not kidding, the faucet on the sink was a drinking fountain faucet <laughs> turned upside down that barely let any cold water out. Got to do what you got to do, I guess. Wow. You know, thankfully, you know, there's a uh, thankfully to all of this. My brother and his fiance, who used to live in Oklahoma City, where we had spent some time last year, have now relocated to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. My brother is working for an esports organization in the AT&T Stadium. He's working. Well, it's not in this. So it's, or in it's the, next to, so I should say. Sorry. We should, let's not skip over that because that, yeah. was, that was kind of the highlight of the experience for me. We didn't really get to spend much time in in fort worth dallas we weren't even going to try because we were on the fort worth side we attempted to go to a museum in fort worth but it was close because it was a monday and and we didn't do our due diligence forget is that often museums are closed on monday well yeah just often forget what day of the week it is but anyway abby's brother jordan works at the esports arena that is part of the big complex where the dallas cowboys stadium is the at&t stadium where the Texas Rangers stadium is uh, and their new stadium that's being built. And then there's this esports arena. If you don't know what esports is, it's it's online video gaming. Essentially. Yeah, it's like it's it's competitive gaming and in oh, the online world. I got a tour of this place and wow, I mean, it is an arena. I mean, they have a really cool, massive stage with like glistening gloss white giant video screens. We went, he took me into the room where the- The room the, where it happens. Well, no, it, this is the, it's the switcher room where the camera operators signals all come back to and they have the, you know, the switch, just like an, like a control room for an NFL broadcast. It's just like that with room for like 40 people to set at all these different desks and deal with all the different video feeds that they shoot across the internet and through all the TV screens all across the arena. If you think oh, that this man. is- wild that a space like this would be dedicated for something like online gaming competitions. Don't go too far down the rabbit hole, but my brother who has worked in this industry as a gamer and now on the production side for all of his adult life, this is an industry that is huge. It 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 is. is overwhelming how large this industry is and this investment being made here in the Dallas Fort Worth area in this esports arena. This is something that's going to start happening more and more across the country, these kinds of massive esports arenas. And I didn't get to go over. Jason went over because, as I had said, the weather was really awful. So, you know, we ended up just hanging out with Jordan and Mai at their place basically the entire time we, we were in we town. We didn't want to hang out at the campground. We the did not. We did not. And so we went over to their place. The kids enjoyed the Wi-Fi. The kids enjoyed their aunt and uncle. Uh, I enjoyed the fact that they were very gracious with their washing machine. And Mai is an amazing cook and she just made some fantastic food for us and, and they're getting married soon uh, they very are soon. very soon and, and so you know my and I, I i'm in the bridal party and so she and i were able to go together and find my dress for the wedding which i was really thankful to have her assistance with and so basically you know you're probably thinking like why are you guys 
recapping all of this. You just had an average week. Yeah. Well, because the plan That's... this week is was to tell you all about how cool Fort Worth, Texas is, but we just didn't we didn't do it. We well, didn't spend time in Fort Worth, so we can't. Here's do that. the thing, though, too. Not every week can we have epic adventures. Yeah. I wish we could, but. Sometimes, you know, life traveling in an RV is just life, just moving from one place to another. And so we had life happening in the Dallas Fort Worth area. It happened to be somewhere we had never been before, but we just ended up spending time with family, chilling out and uh, really trying to escape the weather. And we got on the road and now we are here in the Austin, San Antonio area, which we absolutely plan on exploring and being able to share that with everyone next week. All right, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking with Katie Larson of GoVan.com about van life and living on the road as a full-time solo female RVer. We'll be right back. We are back and we're here to talk about van life in my interview with Katie Larson from GoVan. But first, this segment is sponsored by Harvest Hosts. If you are looking for a cool way to boondock across the country, check out Harvest Hosts. Harvest Hosts has nearly a thousand different wineries, golf clubs, farms, Museums. All sorts of really unique, cool places across the country that you can stay at overnight for free if you are a member of Harvest Host. You're just asked to visit the business and patronize them a little bit. If you're at a winery, buy a bottle of wine. I can go get a bottle of wine. I can do that. Buy some grapes. You can do it. It's a great, great service. It's $79 a year, but you can get 15% off with the code RVMILES at harvesthost.com. That's 15% off with the code RVMILES, all one word, at harvesthost.com, and we'll provide a link in the show notes along with the code and the codes to all of our sponsors' discounts. We're That's one of the things that I love about what we're doing is that you know we really are only using sponsors that we really do believe in and we like what they're doing, but also we're really trying to find ones that offer you a discount whenever possible. Right. I, just as much for us as it is for people who are listening as well. And so, you know, these are great services. And hey, who doesn't like to save a little bit of money? So you might think of van life. Hashtag van life. Hashtag van life as the the popular hipster Instagram travel it thing right now. But van life has been going on for a very, very long time. They used to call it covered wagons. <laughs> People <laughs> traveling full time in vans. There are RVs, yes, sure. And some are built as class B RVs in factories. But many, many are built on their own by their owners. And people travel across the country, across the world in camper vans, sometimes stealth camping, they're able to park in big downtowns of cities, all sorts of places 
where you wouldn't expect them. So I'm really excited that I was able to interview Katie Larson with GoVan.com about her life on the road. Hi, Katie, and welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being on. Where are you coming from? I'm currently in Nashville, um, passing through. I just spent some time in Arizona, and I'm um, headed a little bit east right now. What's sort of your your journey looking like for you this year? Um, well, I started in California. I'm originally from Portland, Oregon, so I went home to spend the holidays with my family. Um, and then I headed back down to California uh, and then went a little bit east from there towards Arizona. I spent about a month there as well. Um, I'm going to explore a little bit of the East Coast, kind of on a brief trip, maybe a month or so, and then um, head back to the West Coast. And I'm actually headed up north for a GoVan gathering that is taking place in May in Vancouver, BC. And then beyond that, I'm not sure. I, I would like to hit some more of the Canadian parks that I've missed this year, like uh, Jasper and Banff. Um, but I, I don't have a long-term plan, so. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back to the beginning. Where What yeah. got you started in van life? Um, I was uh, in a relationship and I was working a corporate office job. Um, yeah, I was living at my parents' house uh, after graduating college and I needed kind of a refresh, start with a bunch of new aspects. So I was looking for a new job, um, a new living situation and a new car. And at the time, my partner had just said, you know, I'm interested in doing this. This seems like a really good time for us to make some big changes if you're interested. Um, so I had originally said, you know, I need to pay off a certain amount of student debt <laughs> before we can talk about it more seriously. But I made that a priority. And after a year, we dove into the um, the conversation about it. And within about a year and a half, we bought our van. And so did you did you buy an already converted van? Did you guys do work yourselves or? No, we actually bought a brand new um, Sprinter. We we don't have a lot of mechanical background knowledge, and um, before I before we dove into it, I didn't really have a lot of knowledge about kind of van life and what all of that means and road travel in general. So I really wanted something reliable. So we bought a completely empty uh, cargo van and uh, didn't even have windows um, in the, in the rear part of it. So we did the entire conversion ourselves with the. The help of friends and family, obviously, it takes a village. But, um, but yeah, everything was done. We, you know, every piece of material that went into that van, we touched with our own two hands. So it's kind of special. How long did it take you? Um, it, it took us about ten months to find the van. We were going to buy a used one, and we ended up getting this new one, like I mentioned. And then the conversion itself took about six months. And pretty much once we had it completed, we quit our jobs or put in our two weeks, and we hit the road as soon as possible. So how long ago was that? How long have you been out on the road? Yeah, so we um, we moved into a full-time June of 2017. And I've been in it ever since. He was with me until May of last year. So I've been in it uh, ever since on my own. So that relationship ended and and you yes. decided to to strike out on your own as as a full-time traveler. Were you was that decision easy to come across? Were you prepared to do that? What, what were your thoughts um, at that point? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was never in the plans. We had originally saved up for a year, um, in the van and we just thought it would be this great, you know, adventure in our early twenties. And then we would go on to do, you know, quote unquote, normal life. But, um, after our year was done, he had taken a seasonal job and we were going to move to central Oregon. And, um, 
I just, I didn't feel that that was the right fit for me. And I just felt like what I was doing wasn't quite done. I had finally found uh, completely remote employment in the van community. And I was just very invested at the time. Um, I still am. I'm still working heavily within it. And uh, so I decided I didn't really know how or what, but I knew I was going to continue. Um, I had no car, no furniture. I sold everything when we went into the van. Um, and we had owned the, you know, co-owned the van and, and I even put it on the market and I was trying to sell it and I got very close. Um, I was going to do another van on my own and I just decided, you know, I had completely moved out of it and I just was sitting in it one day and I just thought I will do whatever I can do to, to keep this. And it really did require all my resources and, um, a lot of help from people, but I was able to basically buy out his half of the, the payments and, um, yeah, here I am. So did you get any, did you get any flack? Did you get any pushback from like friends and family? What sort of the, the impression you got from people, you know, a lot of people caution women, oh, it's scary out there. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't be on the road alone. What was kind of the feedback that you got? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I feel like the second time around, um, you know, like I said, I'd completely moved out of the van and I was living on friends' couches and my parents' couch, um, for, you know, a month or so. The second time of moving back into the van and hitting the road was actually easier, even though I was doing it alone. Um, not only because of my confidence level, knowing what I was actually getting into this time around, but also I just think people like my community was more, um, they had all come to terms with the fact that I was doing this kind of alternative lifestyle. So there was, um, concern in some senses, you know, and I do some things differently, definitely being a solo traveler and a solo female traveler, as opposed to how I traveled with a partner. But, um, for the most part, people have been super supportive. I, I don't think anybody was really that surprised. Um, in that month of time, when I moved out of the van, I was pretty miserable and it showed, uh, I was really not ready to dive back into anything else. And I knew that in order to continue the work that I've been doing remotely, I mean, that really does require sort of a lifestyle to stay authentic to the work that I'm doing. So I just, um, I was ready to keep going and, and people were pretty on board with it. So I got very lucky in that sense. Where, so were you, were you nervous about it? I mean, I, I would be very nervous to be out on my own as yeah. well. You know, where, is that something that, that concerned you being a solo traveler? Yes. I honestly, the adrenaline within that summer of all this transition, like, you think about my whole life had been planned. Um, you know, you think you're going to marry this person and you've made these life decisions together. And I just, you know, although the decisions were mine, it really was like, okay, my life is completely alt getting altered right now. So what am I going to do? Um, there was so much adrenaline in that time that I honestly didn't think that much about logistics, which I know sounds, um, maybe chaotic or irresponsible, but, um, I was responsible enough in making all these decisions to know that it was going to be okay. But I just, I wasn't sitting there thinking about like, holy cow, what is it going to feel like when I'm in the dark by myself in a city somewhere and there's no one around me for hundreds of miles that I know. So I honestly just kind of dove into it and it's been pretty okay. I mean, I, I think that the fact that I've done this already for a year when I started doing it on my own helps because I'm just more comfortable like blocking out my windows and pretending I'm not in a parking lot or a street or, you know, on BLM out in the middle of nowhere. Um, but I mean, yeah, there's, there's logistics and things to be nervous about. And I think a lot of it is just like having your head on straight, making smart decisions, like watching your back. Um, you know, I, I have a bunch of 
tactical things that I do, like my entire family all tracks my GPS location at all times through find my friends. So people always know where I am. Um, you know, if I'm going to go like hike or do something on my own off grid, I always make sure to check in with people, especially my parents know where I am. I park nose out with my van always so that if I ever need to, I can hop up front and, um, you know, go wherever I need to pretty fast. I can leave. So I, I mean, I think that there are, there are pieces to be nervous about. Yes. But with being, being responsible and just kind of being aware of why I need to be careful and, um, practicing those things, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, I just, I, I do the best that I can to, to feel comfortable and safe with it. So I think some of those things sort of touch on how van life might be a little bit different than a lot of other camping, uh, mm-hmm. lifestyles. So what is your impression of, of the van life movement and, and what is it, how is it different than other types of full-time RV travel? Mm, Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I, you know, I've never done much other road travel than the van. My, I I grew up in a really big family and we did um, like tent trailer camping, usually in private campgrounds where you pay and you have a hookup and you have a bathroom. Um, I also will say that van life can be very different as opposed to living in like a school bus or an RV or an overlanding rig. Um, but also the way that I do van life is like a a very specific way. Um, like I don't stay in campgrounds, not because I don't want to, but just because I don't need to, and I can't afford it. So for me, my van is very compact. It's the shortest version of the sprinter that, that Mercedes makes. So I can like parallel park downtown Chicago. Um, I have beefed up tires so I can really drive out on a gravel road for miles and miles and miles and be totally fine. Um, I stay mostly on free public land or, um, you know, on public streets if I can, or parking lots that are allowing overnight parking and I don't require anything. I'm completely off grid. So I have all renewable energy through solar panels. I have uh, running water and an electric water pump with a sink. Um, I have a toilet in my van. So, I really am completely off grid in that sense, which that alone really makes it very different than a lot of other forms of travel. And it's it's this interesting movement or lifestyle right now, because when I moved into the van, I didn't really understand how big it was. Um, and even then it's a big community, but it's also small in a lot of ways. But now if I drive down the street, I can get a van or a, a rig or any sort of vehicle and know if someone's traveling in it or not, because you kind of get these, um, you kind of learn what to look for and, and how to spot other people that are living really similarly to you. Yeah. Cause a lot of it's sort of stealthy, right? Super stealthy. Yeah. And I mean the planet fitness like parking lots, that's where I go to shower. Most of the time is like, I can spot other van lifers like a mile away. <laughs> you know, you get really good at recognizing each other. How do you deal with things like filling your water and, and dumping your tanks? Yeah. I mean the internet, I mean, technology is a crazy thing in itself. I, I've talked to with a lot of people about how different, uh, you know, how different van life would have been if I had been doing it 20 years ago, because I have apps for everything. I have apps for maps, or I can figure out where I can get water or where I can refill my propane tank or where I can get a shower. Um, so I use a couple apps. Like I use all stays, um, for camping. I use like iOverlander, Campendium, freecampsites.net. Um, but a lot of times I, I, I'm pretty minimal with, with my usage, not really for any reason. I mean, obviously to be environmentally friendly is, is wonderful. Yes. But I mostly just am lazy and I don't like to have to refill my resources. So, um, I can go pretty, 
pretty long without having to restock on propane and water. But most of that I do at gas stations, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. There's a lot um, fancier ways to do that, but I have a hose that I keep in the back of my van. And if there's a place where I can get a spigot from a gas station and they'll let me, you know, I grab steady water and I refill my propane tanks for like a dollar fifty at most gas stations. And, um, and, and that's like a pretty simple way of doing it. A lot of people have much larger tanks, have hot water and cold water. You know, they have compostable toilets where they have to use dump stations. It's I'm, I'm, I'm doing it a little bit more simplified than that. So it makes it a little bit easier on me, I think. Where do you see this continuing to take you? Do you, do you plan on being on the road long-term? Yeah. I mean, I, I can't really imagine doing anything else. Um, and honestly, I, I haven't thought about it much. Like I, I have this conversation with a lot of my friends that are doing the same thing and maybe it sounds irresponsible, but to me, there really is no after this. I just am so focused on right now. And I mean, if it ever stops feeling right, I will obviously stop. But for me, this is kind of it, like buying a house or settling down somewhere isn't really in my, my near future or even in the mid future, I would say, um, you know, at least a couple more years, at least like I, I have a loan on my vehicle and I'll own it outright in four years, um, maybe less. So I would like to at least do it through that amount of time and then potentially just have this vehicle for my whole life and be able to travel as I wish, or, um, you know, continue some sort of small living and traveling. So I know it's kind of a vague answer, but I just don't really, (laughs) I don't really have one. I, you know, well, I think that's I, that's sort of part of it's part of what we do, and I think part yeah. of the van life movement is not really knowing what mm-hmm. what you're going to do next or, or or where you're going. I think that's part of the excitement of it too. Of course. So you, what helps you pay to be on the road is you're the editor in chief of GoVan.com. How did that come about, and and what's GoVan.com all about? Yes. Yeah, so um, GoVan is my my main uh, form of employment right now. I do some other freelance um, yeah, self-employed gigs on the side, but this is my my main thing. Um, I'm the editor-in-chief for GoVan, and uh, I got connected with Julian, who's the founder, um, early last year. I've been with the company for almost a year. Um, it started out as this van life culture magazine, and it's really spread into a resource platform even beyond that now it's it's media production it's uh van gatherings it's kind of turned into this platform or resource for all things van life if if that uh makes sense so we have the website govan.com which spreads through online stories or blog posts um either with original writing or interviews we do video production um Sometimes it's with different tourism boards or sometimes it's with rental companies. Sometimes they're just lifestyle videos focusing on a certain area that we love to travel to. Like I said, we have our own gatherings. We do um, about two a year and we're looking to grow that. Uh, They're called El Campo and they're pretty big, successful, you know, multiple day gatherings with live music and guest speakers and a bunch of different uh, company sponsorships. So there's a lot going on. We also have like a van tour section on the website where we promote different people in there. Uh, you know, the variety of rigs that people have out for road travel. Um, we have an online shop. So we actually have, you know, original, original uh, items that we make, but we also help to collaborate with other nomads or other creative people that are living on the road. So 
Um, we do a lot of things, but in general, I would say that the concept is that like we are a platform for van lifers built by van lifers. Like our team is all people from the road. Everyone that we employ are all freelance artists that usually are all van lifers for the most part. So we really believe in um, not just building a platform for people to come and find information and use as a resource, but also to help keep other digital nomads on the road themselves. And van life is really uh, a global phenomenon, right? You've got, oh, yeah. you've got stuff on your site from all around the world. Yeah. I mean, um, Julian just spent time in Europe and he's going to Australia and, you know, in all of those, he's either renting vans or working with companies that have pre-converted vans that, um, you know, it, you can do it almost anywhere. And, and even beyond vans, you know, we, we have content with school buses, overlanding rigs, pretty much everything. So it's pretty cool. And a lot of countries don't have sort of the RVing infrastructure in, in mm-hmm. a van. You can just, you can just go be anywhere. I've, right. I've seen a lot of people that's a lot of people want to RV in Hawaii and, mm-hmm. and really that's the only way to do it. Right. Yeah. And that's renting a van is, is a great way to get into this lifestyle, right? We've, we're seeing rental vans all over the place, especially around like Utah and the big five parks. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause it's, it's a great lifestyle, right? And road travel in general is this wonderful concept, but it, it's not cheap, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's expensive to, I mean, you can do it cheaply, but for the most part, investing in um, having a van that you fully own, it's really hard, especially if you're not planning to go full time. So renting is, I mean, a good idea for anybody, even if you are planning to go full time or invest in your own, you know, vehicle, eventually it's just a good way to either test out like a night or a weekend, or even just see if you can do it with other people or if you like it at all. Awesome. Well, Katie Larson, thanks so much for joining us. You can find go van at it's go dash van.com. Right. And mm-hmm, yes. we'll link to that, of course, in the show notes and and go van social media on the website at rvmiles.com slash podcast. Thanks, Katie, so much for being on the show. This was really eye opening. And now I want to go get a van. <laughs> thank you so much. I really appreciate it. We want to thank Katie Larson once again, and we will provide links to all of her social media and all go van social media and their website in the show notes as well. So we hope you will check them out. Let's wrap this episode up with a brain teaser. Go for it. Which of the following words does not belong in this list and why? Reappear. Caucuses. Inefficiencies. Signings. Arraigning, horseshoe, intestines, and appeases. Ew. Let me say that again. Can I get intestines, please? Re- reappear, caucuses, inefficiencies, signings, arraigning, as if in, as like a court arraignment, arraigning, horseshoe, intestines, and appeases. Which I'm going to have to go of, write all those down. Which one of these words does not belong on the list and why? If you know the answer, send us an email at editor at rvmiles.com or a message on social media, and you may win a Not All Who Wander Are Lost t-shirt. We'll have the answer to that and a whole lot more 
on next week's episode of the RV Miles podcast. We sure will. And just a reminder, Sunday nights is RV Chat over on Twitter, and we would love to see you there. Just search RV Chat, all one word. Starts at 8 p.m. Central. Jason is the host, and I pop in every once in a while under the Our Wandering Family Twitter handle. And if you are enjoying the podcast, you know we would love, love, love a five-star review from you over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening to us today as well as a little share across your social medias. Thanks, you guys, as always, for listening. We wish you the very best of week and keep logging those RV miles. Bye, everybody. Bye.